Thanks for being with us. Well, coming up on the show, we are going to get all of the details about the Honda Celebration of Light. It is returning very, very soon. Thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people are going to be taking part, taking in the event. So we'll have all of the details on that. They were released a little earlier today. We'll have those coming up. Right now, though, we are going to check in with Dan Levitt, who is the CEO of Kin Village in Tawasin. Dan, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Hi, Jill. Great to be here. Well, I know we've talked to you so many times and throughout the pandemic and whenever there are, are announcements or, or uh, different uh, things happening when it comes to long-term care in the province. Uh, I want to talk to you a bit about a fundraiser that you have coming up as well. But before we do that, uh, I'm curious, there was an announcement earlier this week, a couple of days ago, and it was the province announcing that more long-term care beds were coming to Campbell River and getting more care beds into smaller communities and making sure that people have access to those care beds. So does an announcement like this make a big difference or how important is it, do you think, that we're focusing on getting those beds up and running and, and building more of the long-term care home facilities? Well, Jill, um, anytime that we can celebrate an investment in anything to do with older people is great news for all of us. I mean, we're all heading that direction. We all have family members or know somebody, a neighbor, who is kind of on that journey to eventually perhaps needing some kind of support. So seeing that investment in communities like, like uh, Calm River, we've seen, we've seen announcements recently in Delta and in Abbotsford. It's really critical that we see um, our society, our government, um, supporting elders, especially who need long-term care. So that's great news. And we know that you know, wait lists can be a challenge in the time from when you initially uh, begin to understand that you're going to need further support, including long-term care. It takes a while to get in, and you don't always get in to the local um, neighborhood um, long-term care. So you want to make sure that we want to make sure that we've built enough so there's capacity so that you don't have to leave home. You shouldn't have to leave Um, the community that you grew up in and that you live in, in order to get long-term care, it should be essentially in your neighbourhood. And are we changing the way that the facilities look or is there a need for that, do you think, as far as moving away from uh, the more hospital-type setting or more kind of warehouse-type setting to a more home feel? Absolutely. Um, The the idea of um, a hospital-style nursing home, I think, is outdated and I think we should not be building um, those kinds of institutions where um, seniors are isolated. They live away from the town centre. They should be in the heart of the community where, where the seniors live. And they should feel and resemble as much as possible like a house. Um, it should be, you know, this, this the example of the Langley uh, Dementia Village and, and other smaller um, household models where 12 people live together and when they wake up in the morning, they wake up when they want to wake up, and they, they can spend the day they want to, and they can eat when they want to, they can um, have live their life the way that they would like to and have fresh outside um, air, have access to, to getting outdoors, having family members visit them, and living life to the fullest, um, not being kind of restricted by, if you will, that institutional model that um, where things are, are, uh, are centralized. We want to see it decentralized and have the staff and the people who live in that neighborhood decide how they live their lives. 
And what does that do then as far as cost? Because it sounds that like you can make the connection that one of the reasons that, that we have had long-term care or facilities that have been built with that more older, uh, outdated model is because it is a cheaper way of doing things. So uh, have we embraced that, yes, it's going to cost more, but this is very important? I don't think we're there yet, Jill. I think, um, you know, all of us kind of, um, when we get to that point, um, a lot of us think that it's government's responsibility to provide um, this service and, and that um, we, we pay, you know, ideally the least amount of money. People in the United States um, who are asset test tested in Canada and British Columbia, we do income testing. You pay based on your income in some jurisdictions like the United States is asset tested. And so people, they'll, they might try to hide that money or give it away in advance. So so that they're not, you know, to the families, um, so that they're not paying the top dollar. And I think we need to re- reimagine that and think about what would happen if you went into a care home, for example, and you paid, if, if you will, a condo fee. You paid for the space that you're in. Um, in some models, they call it a life lease. And then at some point, you know, the, if the average length of stay is 18 months and it's getting shorter, then at the end of that that period of time, um, your heirs, the people who who inherit um, your, your assets, they would get um, that money back. So it's only being lent, if you will, temporarily to to, to the the operator, and then um, it it helps reduce the the burden, if you will, on the taxpayers to to build all these care homes. And where we've seen this happen in places like Australia, uh, there's been a renaissance um, of of new buildings. And um, if, for example, if Kin Village could do this, if um, we could we could build a brand new care home now, and uh, we could build it the way we want to build it and the way the community wants to see it done, which I think resembles um, the neighborhood and resembles where people right now call home. Right. And it makes a, makes a lot of sense. Uh, you mentioned as well that people like to stay home for as long as they can and stay in their communities as much as possible. Uh, we have another uh, heat wave. There are heat warnings in many parts of the province uh, right now. We've certainly seen high temperatures. Uh, how, how, um, how much of a challenge is that when we're talking about people who are seniors and might be living in conditions where they don't have a lot of access to air conditioning or, or ways to cool down? Well, I think the first thing that you know, the listeners can do right now is think about um, seniors or other people who are vulnerable, who don't have the ability to, to leave um, their home. They're as mobile, and they're perhaps living in a place that doesn't have air conditioning. I think we can all, um, as um, Canadians, reach out to um, our fellow neighbours and, and uh, see how they're doing and check in on them and do whatever we can so that they're safe. Um, um, the tragedy that happened a few years ago, um, it was very unfortunate that those were people who were more isolated, didn't have access to getting help. So it's really critical there. And uh, it's, I know it's been in the news lately around um, apartment buildings or um, rentals, um, not the, the owners not being in, um, willing to invest in um, new electrical systems that support a, a air conditioning. I think everyone has the right to an air conditioner, and we should be making sure people um, have uh, cooling opportunities. And that includes access to the outdoors if you can get outside and uh, you'll be underneath in some shade or get access to um, a ways of cooling off. It's so critical because um, you know, as you get older, your body doesn't react um, to um, temperature adjustments um, as easy. And those kinds of heats, especially at night, can have um, really negative impacts on older people. All right. That is uh, good advice as we are continuing to deal with these temperatures, at least for the next few days. Uh, on a much lighter note, Dan, I know you have a big event that's coming up uh, September, which isn't that far away. And this is really celebrating uh, people as they uh, get into their 70s. Tell us a little bit more about that. So we're, we're really excited, um, Jill. Um, 
we've seen um, those events, um, 30 under 30 or 40 under 40. Uh, we're doing something a little differently. We're, we're recognizing seven people, seven extraordinary people who are over the age of 70. And these are people who have made a huge difference throughout their lives, but over 70, they have done remarkable contributions. So um, in the areas they have health and recreation, arts, culture, science, business, volunteerism, environment, and they've overcome adversity and they made a huge difference in their community. So we're taking um, September 16th, an evening, and we're going to recognize their outstanding achievements and all these individuals are inspiring to so many people. It's great. I mean, you mentioned that too. You're right. You do often see the the 30 under 30, 40 under 40, but this does seem like an age group that maybe doesn't get nearly as much or as much attention as they should. Yeah, exactly. And you know, people, you know, sometimes, um, you know, some of us, um, you know, we have gray hair. We don't want to always, and we have wrinkles. We don't want to always share that. We don't want to always tell people what our age is. But I think, you know, these are seven people who are owning their age. They're proud of who they are. And uh, they say, well, they're flaunting it. And, and uh, we want to celebrate um, aging. We think aging's a, um, a good thing. And uh, so we're, we're recognizing that. And uh, the community is going to come support us. Um, we're, we're raising money that night for um, our expanded day program for older adults. Uh, these, when we talk about the number of um, care homes that are being built, we're not building enough in British Columbia, unfortunately, yet. I believe we will in the future, but, but there's long wait lists and there's even challenges getting services in your own community. So what we're doing is we're, we're creating uh, tw- uh, 25 spaces altogether, which is doubling our current capacity so that people who live in Tawasin and South Delta have, have a place, um, a temporary place as as uh, their condition advances. So it's kind of that intermediary place between living at home, they can stay in their community before if they might need long-term care one day. Is there a website or, or how can people learn more about it? So they can go to our website, um, which is kinvillage.org uh, forward slash seven over 70. And uh, they can go online, l- learn more about the event. We have an early bird ticket price of $175 available to uh, mid-August. And we're expecting to sell out this event. And it's going to be a great way of honoring seven remarkable people. Well, Dan, it's always great to, to chat with you. So thanks so much for doing this and great to have you back on the show. Thanks, Joel.